It is your money. I'm Susie Jones getting it started on this day. We're happy to have you with us. And remember, right out of the gates, if you have a financial question at any time, you can call Wealth Enhancement Group 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number is one eight 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 six advice You can always email questions as well if you can't get your question in today at yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now in our studio, you can call this number 651-461-9226 with any question for Peg Webb and our special guest. Here is Wealth Enhancement Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Peg Webb. Peg, how are you? Happy to have you on with us today. Good morning, Susie. Um, I'm, I'm delighted because we do have a guest today, uh, but Bruce actually has a well-deserved day off. And when Bruce is gone, we do a show called Ask Peg Anything, and our listeners tend to like that. So early in the show, um, we'd like you to call in 651-461-9226. But especially because I brought a great guest in today, Preston Koenig. And Preston Koenig has worked for large institutions for years before joining Wealth Enhancement Group, oh, about 12 or 13 years ago. He's a financial advisor with our company, Senior Vice President, uh, but his day-to-day job is serving families and giving them comprehensive advice. Uh, Preston came to us uh, with being a certified financial planner. And so proud of Preston because he always, always puts the client first, just like every other advisor at Wealth Enhancement Group. And he works closely with our roundtable. So do all of us because not one person can know it all. And Preston knows that. But he has a BS degree in the University of North Dakota, MBA, lives in Minneapolis with his two sons. Delighted, Preston, to have you ask anything to Peg and Preston Day. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Good morning, Peg and Susie, and happy to be here and excited to see uh, what questions we can we can help our listeners out with today. Yeah, we um, we start right out of the gate because often uh, people who listen to this show maybe don't ask their question uh, while the show is live, but they email like Susie suggested, and one that we did get this week, uh, and we're and we're getting this question a lot is. Uh, we, we're kind of under the gun right now because the end of the year is coming. And what does that really mean? Well, any tax decision that you're going to make, you need to make in the next uh, six weeks or so. So a question that we got was, I'd like to donate a sum of money into the, um, to my church, my favorite uh, church, and I'd like to do that before year end. But what's the best way that, that I should give to the church that would be financially good for me and the church? Yeah, and that's, that's a really popular question, a great question to, to address right now. And so there, there are about three different ways you can go about that. And the one that most people think of first is writing a check to, to the charity that you want to give to. Uh, and that's been a tax-deductible thing for a long time in our tax code. It still is. Uh, the consideration, though, is that the standard deduction that you get now with the 2017 tax code that was uh, was passed is that the standard deduction is very high. And so you have to either give a substantial amount of money or you have to have other deductions, like health care deductions over a certain hurdle, uh, interest on loans for your home, for example, to get you to that point where you can itemize. 
Otherwise, you're really getting no tax advantage for doing that uh, or that uh, uh, donation to the church. One other way you could do it would be to donate uh, appreciated stock. And so when you do that, the stock that you own, if you sold it yourself, you'd have to pay capital gains tax on the, on the gain. But the, the charity does not have to do that. So you could donate that stock directly to the charity. Uh, and then, of course, you would get to itemize that deduction uh, again on your tax return for the value of the stock. But you can run into the same problem I talked about in the first step. So one way to do it, if you're over 70 and a half years old, uh, is a qualified charitable distribution, a QCD. And that's been talked about on the, the show before. It's become very popular since this new tax code came out. And what I would say there is that you can you can donate directly to your, your church, for example, or other charities up to $100,000 a year per person. Uh, they aren't deductible, but what they are is not taxable distribution from that IRA. And that's really one of the only ways you can ever get money out of an IRA uh, without having tax on it. The other nice part about that is that it counts towards your required minimum distribution for the year, your RMD. So if you had a $20,000 RMD and you gave $5,000 directly to a charity, then you only have $15,000 to go, and that's the portion that would be taxable. So it's a wonderful way to do it. We work with clients all the time on, on those. Uh, it's a great incentive to give as well. Charities should be well aware of it. And I would also say just make sure you consult with your financial professional when it comes to doing it, because as with anything in the IRS, there are some rules. and You want to make sure that you're doing it logistically correctly and getting credit for what you did. Preston, you know what happens, and um, this might have happened to some of our listeners. So they take advantage of this QCD, and they have us, like a financial institution, send that money directly to the charity. But then at tax time, February, March, April, when you're talking to your CPA or maybe you're uh, doing your own tax return, uh, if, if, if you don't tell CPA that you did this QCD, uh, that can actually be missed because um, there's no way of the tax preparer to know whether you actually gave in that method. So just a, a shout out to everybody listening today. It's really important that you tell your CPA or you educate yourself on how to do your tax return if you're going to use this method. Hey, Susie, I, I hear that we have a text. So we let's do. get listeners involved. 651-461-9226, right out of the gates. This texture writes, what is a good stock bond ratio in today's market? Thank you, they say. Great. That, I love that. Um, we, we need to highlight Preston a little bit here, Preston, so I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you mind uh, answering this one and then I'll chime in as well? Absolutely. And, and again, that's a great question, and it, it really comes down to the question of what's my risk tolerance. And so as advisors, you know, we often say that our job is to help you find that ratio between stocks, bonds, other types of investments. So that you can be comfortable regardless of what the market conditions are. You're not going to make a rash decision because bonds are down or vice versa with stocks, whatever the case may be. So we're really there to try to find something that you're going to be comfortable and can stick to, but also uh, make it so that it's going to give you enough growth over the years to support all your retirement goals. So the answer to that question is not a one-size-fits-all. And so when the listener asks that, there's a lot of things that we'd have to go to. Uh, back and forth with to decide what's going to fit for them. But what you'll
you'll hear a lot is that 60-40 that they mentioned or 70-30 or some mixture like that because we still believe in diversification in portfolios. We still believe the fact that, that each area of investing and categories that we uh, use, like stocks, bonds, alternatives, cash, all serve a purpose in different market conditions. So finding that mixture uh, is really a, a process that we have to go through. Uh, there isn't that one-size-fits-all, and I would say definitely something to consult with somebody about. Peg, would you, would like, you agree with that? Yeah, I, I love everything you said there. Um, and, and one of the things that we do first to even solve this, because to me this is a, a um, it's kind of a puzzle. So how do we solve the puzzle? Well, we ask a lot of questions. I use the term WDIW. What do I want? Well, when a client's sitting in front of me, and you know this, Preston, um, what do you want? So first we let them tell the whole story, and I ask the clients to put their life in pictures. Like, what do you see yourself doing? You know, um, well, well, that vision, what, what kind of money do you think that'll take? And we have to back into how much risk do you have to take to fulfill all the WDW? What do I want? Now, in some cases, it doesn't work, right? People's list is so long of what they want and the resources that they have. Then we have to work with them to try to narrow down and prioritize. But what I would end with this is we never want to take more risk than we have to to fulfill your life dreams. And using that as a motto, um, you know, within our company, it just helps people uh, just be reassured that we're not just trying to put them in a high stock market percentage because that's, you know, um, maybe we'll get you a long return. But if you can't sleep at night, then that doesn't make sense either. Uh, so, uh, Susie, do, yes. is there anybody else? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a number of them. We'll just move on and you tell me yeah. when you want more and I'll jump in with the question okay. from a texter four minutes ago. I am 60. My wife is 58. We are both retired. What are the pros and cons of annuities to generate a steady income stream? Thank you, Tom. That's from Tom. Thanks for being part of the program. Uh, Preston, do you want to start? Sure, sure. So, yeah, uh, annuities are something that a lot of folks are, are hearing more about. Uh, I, I just had this conversation the other day with someone who said, you know, I feel like I'm seeing more advertisements for annuities, and so that they're curious about that. And I would say that one thing uh, annuities provide folks at, at times when markets are, are uh, a little bit more volatile or the world seems a little more volatile is that they can provide some, some sort of uh, sense of safeness as you go through and stability. So, uh, you know, we've, we've seen annuities used for years in different forms. There's a lot of different types of annuities uh, over time that you can use. And the pros of them are some of what I just mentioned, is the fact that you kind of trade off a little bit of, of market uh, instability and volatility to an insurance company who then can take a little bit of that off your plate and provide you with some promises for, for steady income in the future years. So that's probably one of the biggest things uh, that on the pro side. On the con side, of course, would be that they could have higher costs involved to, to do that because you're essentially paying for a little bit of insurance. Uh, and then the other side is that there may be less flexibility. You may be, uh, you know, more locked into a product for a certain number of years. You may be only able to take out so 
much money per year. And so we often look at portfolios for individuals and say, well, we don't want it all to be an annuity because that takes away the flexibility you need. Uh, the younger you are, you know, you have to look and see how long do I want to be committed to a product like that. So there's, there's some uh, major considerations there. It's a big decision when you do that. And we want to really educate uh, on all fronts about those before we would suggest it to a client. Uh, anything to add there, Peg? Yeah, I, I think the one thing you kind of hinted at is there is complexity to insurance products. It's much more complex than, you know, buying a stock portfolio or a bond portfolio. Um, I would suggest, you know, you, you work with somebody that you feel like you can trust and also maybe get a second opinion if this works for you because the costs are substantially higher and we feel that you have to fully understand, you know, to a certain level before you can make that decision. Susie? Six five one four six one nine two two six. This texture writes: Are treasury bills gain? Are treasury bill gains treated as a short-term capital gain for tax purposes? Uh, that's easy. Uh, no. So or, treasury bills um, they are classified as income, and so it would be ordinary income. Um, on your tax return. What I can say, and, and Preston, I'll give you a minute too, is treasury bills and bonds are very, very popular right now. And they're popular for a couple of reasons. That interest rates are much higher. We've talked about this on the show too, and we've been encouraging all listeners to revisit your safe money and make sure that you're making money on that safe money. Uh, what we do know, too, is that I've been coaching my clients or warning, I should say, my clients that your 1099s are going to be greater this year. You're finally earning money on your money. And so when you go to do your taxes, you might be a little surprised that you might owe some more tax because you've got higher income on 1099s. And so, um, Preston, do you have anything to add there? Uh, no, I would just say that, that we are emphasizing it a lot. Uh, treasury bills and so forth are a great tool in that process to make sure clients are putting their cash to the best use they can in earning interest rates now. All right. 651-461-9226. This person writes, I live in Wisconsin. If I go over my estimated income for the ACA subsidies, do I have to pay back all the subsidies or just a portion? Thank you, Randy. Thanks for listening. ACA, not, uh, let's see, um, Affordable Care Act. Got yeah. it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it took me a little bit. Preston? Yeah, so so a lot of folks, I'll just kind of put a little bit of uh, color behind what that question really is. And so essentially that if you, you can keep your income below a certain level, then you get help from the ACA Act or, or really comes from the state uh, on health insurance. And so you can get, uh, you know, either free health insurance if, if your income is really low or you can get different levels of, of tax credits essentially to help with your, your tax, uh, with your health insurance premiums. So the listener is asking, you know, what happens if I go over one of those figures? And usually how it works is they ask you to estimate your, your 
taxable income for the year ahead. And of course, we all know that things can change during a year and you can end up going over or under that, that amount. So what I've seen in the past, and, I, and I'm sure it can vary a little bit by state, I certainly can speak to Minnesota, knowing that uh, if you go over your estimated income, you will end up having uh, less tax credits, or you may have to pay a little bit of tax, essentially through your state tax return, in order to settle that up. And so that's usually the way it works. Uh, they know it's an estimate. And so when you go up to a year and you don't know what's actually going to happen, they understand that and there's a way to, to uh, adjust it. Of course, if your income is well above what you were shooting for, uh, then you may not get any help uh, with those those premiums. And uh, that's a consideration. So that's a planning topic that we look at with clients, especially those who, let's say, retire before 65 and have to go to a private market to find health insurance. Uh, Peg, I'm, I'm sure you've run into this many times where you're, you're managing that process to see what we can do income-wise for, for clients. Well, it's kind of a big value add that Wealth Enhancement Group is very knowledgeable on strategies that you can use before Medicare and especially if you've retired before. Susie? All right, very good. We have another texter who writes, I am born and raised in Minnesota. I moved to Florida on a job transfer. I sold my home here, lived in Florida for 10 years, sold that home, job transfer back to Minnesota, uh, retiring next year. I would like to be a snowbird like Peg. <laughs> we, <laughs> we own our own home here. Is it better to reside in Florida? What is the best way to purchase a small place there and pull from Roth 401k without hurting our retirement? Um, she says, or he, we aren't really wealthy, but we're tired of the cold already. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Um, we only have a couple minutes here, uh, Preston. If you want to just start it, and if we have to run to the other backside, that'd be okay too. Sure. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of a uh, lot of folks that do that, and a lot of people that are looking for, uh, you know, a place like Florida, for example, that has the weather and all the things they want that way. It also has no state income tax, and so there's uh, a lot of folks that are trying to maneuver between the two places they still want to be in minnesota for family and whatever the case is so uh you know we work with a lot of people like that and there's there's certainly a lot going on in that question when it comes to how to finance and so forth but what i would say is that if you're going to become a florida resident right that's a consideration to make as we look at what buckets of money and the taxation of it that you'd be using if you're a florida resident if you're a Minnesota resident, it's going to get taxed a little differently. It's going to have a state income tax. So there are things there that we have to consider. Uh, I also, and I think Peg can probably attest to this, the fact that because there's no state income tax in a certain state, that doesn't mean it's a free ride, right? There's going to be other taxation, other ways that they get you uh, in there. And so you have to consider some of those things as well. Peg, you probably have a lot to add to that if you wanted. Yeah, we, I probably only have a minute here, but there are extra costs in Florida. Um, the cost of housing has gone up tremendously because I think all of a sudden the baby boomers have decided they don't like the winter anymore. And that's not just Minnesota driven. It's a lot of other places. Uh, so the biggest increase is um, property, uh, not property, the um, the homeowner's insurance. And, you know, because of the weather here and the hurricanes and the and the insurance companies just saying, hey, I don't want to take on all that risk, you know, for that. And so I would say that's the biggest 
complaint. The other thing about Minnesota um, versus Florida is, you know, since you've already resided in Florida, you probably know this, but there's a, a serious checklist of things that you need to do and make sure that you are a, a resident of Florida in Minnesota's eyes, because the last thing you want is, is um, you know, for the state of Minnesota to say, oh, you're not uh, following all the rules, that kind of thing. But that's not just Minnesota either. That's a lot of other uh, states that are looking at that as well. So, uh, Susie, I know we're running out of time, but I would love to have these texts and call on the backside, too, because that's the favorite part of the show. Yes, and a lot of people are already on our text line with questions for you, and we'll continue to take those at 651-461-9226. Again, you're listening to Your Money Wealth Enhancement Group. We have Peg Webb with us, a senior vice president and financial advisor, as long, along with Preston Koenig to take your questions. This morning we have a half an hour left and about well, at least 10, Peg, so we got a few things to click through on the other half of the show. We'll be back after this with your money. It is your money. I'm Susie Jones. We're once again joined by Senior Vice President of Wealth Enhancement and Financial Advisor Peg Webb with our very special guest as you are running the show, people listening, 651-461-9226. Peg, we have a lot of questions, so you take it away and I'll give you the question when you want it. Yes, just in case people are just uh, joining us, we do have a special guest today, Preston Koenig, Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor um, at Wealth Enhancement Group. He has a... um, BS from University of North Dakota. He's got an MBA. Preston has served institutions for um, almost a decade now. And I like his belief. It is that everyone should have access to comprehensive, customized, objective financial advice. And Preston utilizes um, his team and and the roundtable, which is just a tailored group of experts in every part of comprehensive planning. Uh, It's just so fantastic that Wealth Enhancement Group offers all that comprehensive planning, but they also offer excellent money management. So uh, Preston is from Minneapolis, Minnesota, resides there with his wife and two boys. So welcome, Preston. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, you ready, guys? We're ready. Okay. I'm going to read this to you. We, my husband and I, are living off our 401k at about 900,000 today's balance and social security of 1800 twice a month. We need a new car. Our house is paid for and our old car is paid for. Basically no debt. Should we pay cash out of our 401k for the new car or take a loan at 6.5% or manufacture financing at 4.9? I think this is a good question. My mom just had this happen where she had to deal with a new car and the question of take a loan or just pay cash. The person also writes, I love your show, by the way. <laughs> so anyway, thanks oh, for that. I love that. that. Yeah, that's a great question. Preston, we get yes, this all the it time. It is great. We do. We do. And that's something that we tell our clients is that when you're going to make a decision like this, involve us. Call and, and ask so that you can kind of hear some different viewpoints on what to do. Uh, what are other people doing? You know, it just helps to, to bounce that off of uh, someone. Uh, and so in this case here, you know, the, the hard part for everybody right now 
is that we're, we're still getting used to loan rates that aren't zero or 2.9% financing for 60 months or something like that. We got pretty spoiled when it came to that for a number of years. And so now someone looks at this and they say, well, jeepers, 4.9 or 6%, that's, that's pretty high. Well, it, it now is the going rate. And we have to remind everyone too that if you took your money and you put it somewhere safe, right now you can get 5% or more maybe in a CD. And so that, that spread between what you pay interest-wise and what you can make off your money is, is still pretty small. And so that's one thing we talk about to start with. The other thing that's nice about having the loan is it does give you more flexibility. You can always pay the loan off early. Most of these don't have any penalties to do that. But what it allows us to do then is maybe chip away at that loan uh, over time. Maybe it's a couple years, but maybe then what we can do is control your taxable income because if they took all of it out of their uh, 401k IRA or something, that's going to be all taxable in one year, which can have other tax consequences rippling through their tax returns. So again, it's always an individualized answer for, for couples, but in these cases, uh, those are some of the major considerations to look at and make uh, an informed decision as to what your options might be. Peggy, anything there that you'd add? Well, Pre Preston, that was brilliant telling them, the listeners, that if you're going to take out of a fully taxable account, make sure you're doing your homework on the ripple of taking that out. And you're, um, you highlighted taking it out over a period of years, and I think that's excellent. So, Susie? 651-461-9226. We've had a couple of questions about... PODs, paid on delivery, paid on delivery, paid on death. I guess it's delivery. Uh, no. But anyway, my point is talk about that and the different ways to do that and how important they are. I don't, and explain what they are and how they help. I love this. That's great. Um, I just wanted to mention, I love this because we are hitting every part of comprehensive advice here. So Preston? <laughs> yeah, and this is another one we get asked a, a lot about. Uh, you know, I have a firm belief that, that being able to take care of your business before you, you end up uh, leaving this world is really important and such a gift to your family, friends, whomever it is that's going to help with what you have left uh, when you leave this world. And uh, payable on death uh, is something, a POD, that's something that you can have on, let's say, a, a bank account. Uh, and what that does is it just allows you to name beneficiaries on those accounts. And why that's so important is because it allows your, your heirs to be able to come to a bank with a death certificate and they see that, they see that you're, they're listed as beneficiaries, they verify who they are, and those assets then are payable directly to them. And that's, that's the whole point of it. Uh, what that avoids then is, is a probate situation, and everybody hears about probate and trying to avoid that, but it just takes those assets and gets them directly to, to the people you want to have them. So we encourage our clients to really look at their different accounts and go through there and determine what is the best uh, way that they can get these accounts to people that they want to and, and avoid you know, probate costs and different things if, if that's not the route they want to go. Susie, let, yep. that's excellent. Bert okay, Preston, great, great. 651-461-9226. How about this one? 
rolling money over from a 403B to a Roth IRA. I've already met the first initial five-year period. Is there another five-year period, waiting period on earnings, or is it on the total amount rolled over? Preston, now we're getting into technical questions. Okay. Do you want me to move on or do you want to get, do you want oh, to? No, have, okay. no, 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 we'll okay. take it. Okay. No, we'll take it. But All it's right. just another form of a question that's more technical. So here we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and there's a lot of rules involved in all of this. Uh, and so again, you know, you really want to consult a, a financial professional, a tax professional to make sure you're doing it correctly. Uh, I hear a lot of times where people do get kind of caught up on these rules about the five year and so forth. And, and, and really for other listeners, what happens is, is when you convert uh, from, let's say, this pre-tax, what they call 403B to an IRA, a Roth IRA, uh, you're paying the tax then, and then you're hoping that the growth that happens after that will all be tax-free. And when you do that, there are rules involved, again, because it's the IRS. As to You do it, and then when, what money can you pull out of the Roth IRA, truly tax-free? There's a waiting period of five years. Uh, and and I, I talk to clients a lot about the fact that, you know, what, what scenario do you see where you're going to be pulling that money out that quickly, right? And, and they, you know, you want to have flexibility, but also the, the point of that whole process is to let that money then grow for a while because the growth is tax-free and that's what we're shooting for. So do we run into the case where we're really looking at those rules a lot with clients? I would say not very often because they know the general situation and where we're going to be drawing money from and the hope that, that we don't have to go into those rules. But that being said, I believe that each time you do it, you're going to start a, a new five-year period. Uh, Peg, you might know differently on that one, but I believe that is, is the rule. Yes. So it, it's difficult. We get this question all the time because people are wondering, number one, should they be contributing to a Roth 403B? You know, not, don't even think about rollover. They're still working. They're wondering if they should do that versus uh, for the five-year rule because um, your work plan has different rules than your actual uh, Roth conversions and your contributory uh, contributions that you make to your Roth. So Preston, there's just so many rules around this. And I think it would, we could do a whole show on Roth alone. And um, so let's move on, Susie. All right. 651-461-9226. Another good one for everyone. My husband pays all the bills, most of them online. How important is it for my emails to be included on the account so I get notices of bills due? Just in case he goes first, she writes. And thank you so much for that. That's also a good one. Preston? That is, that is a good one, and, and I'll kind of add a spin to it, too. In uh, the fact that, you know, we have a lot of couples that we work with where one uh, does do a lot of that uh, duty, right, <laughs> which is they take care of the bills, they take care of the finances. And, and, I, and I always say in, in a successful marriage, you're going to have your different jobs, and so she, you know, she might do a lot of the other things. But I think it's very important that both are uh, up on how things get done, where you stand bill-wise, all of that, number one, because, yes, if one of you passes away, you've got to be able to, to pick up right away, even in a time of, of grief, to be able to continue on and make sure all of that gets taken care of. The second thing that we've seen occasionally over our careers 
is, is a spouse who maybe is not uh, being truthful and paying the bills as they say or, or doing it in a way that, that is proper, uh, especially when it comes to taxation and all of that too. So I think it's really important for both to be involved. And so I, yes, I agree that I think it would be nice to be uh, added onto those accounts to get emails. Uh, I know in my, my relationship, uh, my wife very much wants to know. And so she's included on all of them. It's uh, and not hard to do online to have an interested uh, other party. And I think that's a great, great thing to do. All right. Six, five. Oh, did you want to add something? Oh, I wanted to add one thing because um, I think part of this show is just, hey, what's your experience personally? Well, my experience personally is I am so busy, you know, with my work and my job that my actually my husband does all the bills, does all the online accounting. Um, I can always, always go to him and ask him a question but I trust him implicitly, implicitly. And I just feel like um, there's so many listeners out there that feel like, oh, all of a sudden now I've got to get contact on everything. Everybody's circumstance is different. Mm. So Preston, I, I, I like everything you said, but I don't want people to feel like, oh my gosh, I got to get all of these emails and double check, triple check. We have, but still this percentage is small. Yeah. Uh, things that have happened um, that they weren't in the know. So I just wanted to add that. Susie? Yes, very good. 651-461-9226. Texter writes, I'm 73 years old in February, so RMDs will be used, will be issued this year. Do I need to do anything in this calendar year to use charitable deductions like an option? How much in advance of 2024 do I need to do this planning? And what is the protocol for doing this contribution? Peg? <clears throat> Preston, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, yeah, we, we touched a little bit on, on that uh, portion of, of the qualified charitable distribution, the QCD. So this caller would be you know, eligible to do that. Uh, their required minimum distribution where they have to take out a certain percentage of their, let's say, IRA or 401k assets starts next year. And one way to reduce that amount you have to take out of your account uh, is by reducing the balance of the account because it's based on a percentage. So one way to do that would be before December 31st of this year, when the accounts are valued for this uh, calculation, would be to give some of that money to charity. That is a way to reduce your, uh, your, your balance in those type of accounts. So that qualified charitable distribution we talked about could be done. Uh, just a couple notes on that, though, when they talked about the operational aspect. You have to send the money directly from your custodian where the, where the funds are held directly to the charity. Uh, there's a couple of rules there, but it really has to go there. They have to make sure it's not a distribution to you, and then you're just handing the money to the charity. Uh, we always say it's great to get a receipt and acknowledgement that it happened, and as we mentioned before, documenting that. So those are a couple of things that, that you could do in these next few weeks of the year to help uh, reduce those required distributions a little bit. All right, 651-461-9226. The texter writes, if my adult child moved out of our home mid-year, can that be considered for a property tax refund, or does it need to be a full year that they have not lived at home? Peg or Preston? Uh, <clears throat> Preston, do you understand the question? 
Yeah, I, I not quite. No, I was going to say, is <laughs> it because yeah. is the yeah. issue is the issue that they want to take a de, uh, a a dependent, you know, getting a dependent, you know, claiming the child as an dependent. I don't know. Maybe we'll move yeah. on. That's kind of a. I think we have to because this has not come up, and we would have to research that. But feel free. To, yeah, um, reach out. We can always go re- Yeah, reach out to us by that email. Uh, your money at wealthenhancement.com, and we'd be happy to answer that. Get the round table involved. Absolutely. 651 461 9226. This texture writes Does a primary residence receive a step up in basis if the title is changed to a transfer on death to an adult child, to adult children so probate is avoided? That's from Tom. Does a primary residence receive a step up in basis if the title is changed to a transfer on death to adult children? Is that one? I, I can jump in. Okay, yeah, I can ahead. jump in on that one uh, because that that uh, transfer on death and, and a lot of times with property, it's called a deed on death. Uh, that's just a designation added to the the property, and it can be removed at any time. And so that's really not changing the title of the home. It can still be titled as, as joint with, with your spouse or whoever owns the, the place. Uh, it also then does not change how the taxation works upon death, for example. So, yes, it, it, if it meets, again, some IRS rules as far as how long you've lived in the home and everything else, then your home is still that capital asset, which would get that step up in, in cost basis. So I believe that's what they're asking there. Uh, and, and the transfer on death or this deed on death would, would not affect uh, that at all. Okay, we have a text from Steve who's, call, who's texting from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, can you have capital gain tax retirement if you sell a treasury bond before maturity? Can yes, you? Yeah. you can, okay. yes, <laughs> yes. That's actually a really good question okay. in that if you bought a treasury today for 5%, and uh, treasuries then went down to three and a half and you wanted to sell your bond before it matured, they would mark that treasury to the market and probably give you a premium because you have a 5% coupon. Mm. So the difference between what you paid and what you got when you sold it will be capital gains. That was a great question. Perfect. Preston, did she finish everything? Did you want to add anything to that or are we good? I think she got it. She did a great job. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's get this one. We have tax-free investments except for $35,000. We probably won't be in a different tax brackets in the near future. Do we need to harvest our tax in in the next couple of years on this IRA or just pay the little tax when we withdraw that amount first? That makes sense? I think they're talking about soaking up, Preston. Stepping up. Yeah, I, I think that's what I was getting up, getting out of it as well. And so, uh, yeah, one technique we talk about is soaking up tax brackets. And I'm sure, you know, on the show we've talked about this in the past, but it's taking out extra taxable money out of your portfolio uh, when you don't really need the money, but what you're doing is getting it taxed in the current year. And reasons you may do that would be uh, you believe the tax rates will go up in the future. Uh, Maybe you believe that you want to get this money out of your taxable account. It's your tax rate because you're looking to pass that on as a legacy to your family, and they may have higher tax rates due to their circumstances or, again, just because tax rates have gone up. So we'll see that a lot with, with folks that are trying to do this. 
Uh, and that's where I think we really, as financial professionals, can help in that process, looking at not only your tax rate, but how does that affect your state tax rate? How does that affect other things? I talked about that ripple effect before. Those are all considerations there. You have the funds to pay the extra tax in the current year. So a lot of things would go into that process. Uh, but but it sounds like this, this uh, person has got a great situation where they said, we've got a lot that's tax-free already and just a little bit to go. They may be able to achieve that at some point here over the next few years where they could have it all be uh, tax-free. And that, that would be terrific. All right, 651-461-9226. Can you highlight the pros and cons of annuities? Peg or Preston? Oh, we had that one. Oh, we, we had that. that one. Okay, let's mm-hmm. move on. Uh, okay, I actually I meant to read this one. Maybe it's the same, same in a different word. What are the pros and cons of a six-year structured annuity? Similar to your answer, right? Uh, here's one. <clears throat> Let me just say this one. What's the difference between a beneficiary designation, a TOD, and a POD? Yeah, and those are essentially the same thing. It's just a matter of they call them something different depending on the type of account. So an investment account would be a TOD transfer on death. Uh, Bank accounts typically reference it as a POD, payable on death. Uh, And then there's also, like I mentioned before, with property, a lot of times they'll call it a deed on death. But all the same thing essentially and achieved the same goal. Peg and and Preston, what would you say some of the common mistakes are that people make in planning or not doing a good enough job planning their their retirement? What would you how how would you answer that, Preston? Yeah, I think uh, common mistakes. You know, we get those questions often about uh, you know where does my money come from once I'm retired, and I think it's a, it's a tough one. And there's a lot of different taxation rules, and we've gone over all these questions today a lot of that uh, plays into those decisions. And so the mistakes can be plenty. Yeah. <laughs> they can be made because you don't know what you don't know. And right. so that's where we help people to, to work through that process. And, I, and I, so there's a number that we, we go through with, with clients to decide, as Peg mentioned earlier in the show, what is it they need? It's up to us then to really guide them on where that should come from and avoid those mistakes and missteps along the way. Very good. Well, we have about a minute left, a little less than that, actually. Well, I I have a couple of things, too, that come up. And Preston, you and I talked about it just this week. We're we're 20 seconds away from ending the show, so we probably can't answer. But can I please remind people listening to please reach out to Wealth Enhancement, your money at wealthenhancement.com or 888-6-ADVICE. Get your questions directly to them at the office, and they'll be sure to help you and talk you through it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.